0: you would grab a Bible, let's turn to John 9. John 9 is where we'll be studying from for this time, part of our worship this morning. It is good to see you this morning and appreciate all those who are joining us uh, remotely. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Looking forward to the time when we're able to uh, be together again as uh, in person. And, uh, but uh, thankful for uh, this opportunity this morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers and uh, want to let you know how much we appreciate all of you. And uh, everybody is thankful for their mother, and uh, so if you have that opportunity to say that to your mother, please do that, and uh, be mindful and thoughtful of those who uh, have lost mothers, mothers have gone on, and uh, they're thoughtful of their mothers uh, today, but happy for that opportunity to celebrate uh, someone who's very important to all of us. Also wanna say, I also want to say, I've just been thinking about this this week. Um, when uh, I've been coming to the building during the week, uh, there's been more traffic, and I assume that's because some things are opening up and people are going to work more. Uh, but I never thought I would be thankful for traffic. I'm actually, I was excited to see, hey, there are other people here. Uh, so that was neat. I, I also, as you can tell, I, I got a haircut. never thought I would be so thankful for haircuts. Uh, that, that's just a, a blessing that I had taken for granted. And I'm sure that we all have a list of those things that we're kind of thinking about uh, these days. But uh, in, uh, in these times, I think it's important to acknowledge the small blessings that... Uh, that we have, John chapter 9 and verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they encounter a man born blind. He had had this disability all his life. And they asked Jesus, what's the source of the blindness? They assume that somebody has sinned. Rabbi, who sinned? It's just who was it? Now, this is the beginning of an incredible story. And we're going to get to know this blind man for a few minutes this morning. We're going to learn a lot about him and a lot about Jesus and hopefully some things about ourselves. But I want to talk about this story because I think it's tailor-made for our time. This is one of those stories where everybody is going to spend the whole time arguing about what the real facts are. What really happened? And then there's going to be an investigation. But it's not an investigation that's really about finding the truth. It's an investigation that's about power and control. There is fear-mongering. We're going to threaten the witnesses. There's going to be name-calling, persecution. All kinds of things are going to go on around a very simple, straightforward act that happens to this blind man. I've decided to call this lesson, uh, Will the Real Sinner Please Stand Up? And probably many of you will remember the reference here to the old game show, To Tell the Truth. In fact, as I was... Researching this, I discovered it's actually made a comeback and that they're filming episodes of this now. I didn't realize that. Uh, I had watched the old ones on the Game Show Network. But what would happen, and to tell the truth, is there would be three people on the stage... And they were all, one of them was the real person. So it would be somebody who had an interesting life. Maybe they were an actor or a pilot, some, somebody interesting. But all three of them would pretend to be that person. And at the end of the show, you know, you could ask them questions and kind of try to figure it out. At the end of the show, the announcer would say, will the real whatever please stand up? And then we would see the truth revealed. Well, in this text, there is a lot of talk about sinners, And I want us to look at the text and think about the question, when someone is accused of being a sinner, what makes that true? What makes someone a real sinner in this story? Because those words are thrown around. In fact, it seems to me that there are three groups that are called sinners, but we have to be able to discern who is the real sinner. And you might ask, well, why does that matter? Why would we take the time to do this? Well... When we study a story like this, we learn about what really matters to Jesus. And I want to tell you, I don't think it's what you would think would really matter to Jesus. And we also learn how we really gain credibility and authority in Jesus' eyes. And I think it's not what you'd think. And so I want us to think about that so that we can kind of have a reset of our view of situations like these and of our own lives. And how we're going to live in light of the fact of what we're going to read here. Now... Context of our story is that Jesus in chapter 8 has just escaped a stoning. And so because of that, he is left. He's walking by the temple, but he's in a little bit of a laying low mode. In fact, you'll see that in chapter 9, Jesus is kind of in the background. And these two groups, the blind man and the Pharisees, are in the foreground. But as he's going by the temple, you can imagine that there are people who are outside the temple who are waiting there for charity. And as worshipers come in and out, they're probably going to be more likely when you're worshiping God to help somebody in need right before or right after you've worshiped God. And so he's there by the temple. In chapter 9 and verse 1, we're just going to read here different sections. Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, And he went and washed and came back seeing. So the disciples asked Jesus in the beginning, who sinned? They assume someone sinned, but they just don't know who. And that's a difficult question. Could it be that somehow he is punished preemptively for sin he will commit after he's born? Does it have something to do with his parents that something they did now is passed on to their son? Who sinned? Because he's born blind, and that creates some difficulty logically. And so Jesus says, well, the problem is you're operating from the assumption that somebody sinned. So in verse 3, he says, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, that's not what happened. Instead, this is about what God is going to do in and through this man. So then Jesus spits on the ground and he makes mud and he, tells, he puts it on the man's eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's interesting that the man doesn't know where the mud came from. Remember, he's blind. Later on, he's just going to say, he put mud on my eyes. Okay, So this is a, a, a situation where he is at Jesus' mercy, but he washes and he comes back seeing. He washes and he comes back seeing. So an incredible miracle takes place. And everyone should be gathering around to glorify God, to listen to Jesus. But that's not really how it turns out. Verse 8 now. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. There's a lot of humor in this chapter, by the way. And I think this is a humorous story. This part, especially where they're talking about him in front of him as if he's not there. Hey, is that the guy that was blind? He's like, yes, yes, that was me. I said, I don't know. He looks like him, but uh, is it really him? Here he says, yes, I'm simply that guy. And here's what happened. So he gets to tell his story. It's a simple story. But again, he doesn't know where Jesus is because Jesus is kind of laying low. So they take him to the Pharisees. Verse 13. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So the Pharisees, they bring him to the Pharisees, probably because the Pharisees seem to have some kind of word out among the people, hey, if anything's happening with Jesus, we need to know about it. So they bring the man to him. Uh, They've already clashed with Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. Back in John 5, he healed a lame man on the Sabbath, and now he's healed on the Sabbath again. So there's a division among the Pharisees. You see that in verse 16. Some of them say, okay, he can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. I presume they are calculating just how much rubbing mud would constitute work. Okay? So there's some mud that would be okay, but then this is much mud, that's too much mud. We've, you've got too much mud, you're doing work. But other people are saying, well, wait a minute, if he's a sinner, how is he doing miracles? Sinners doing miracles isn't really something that happens. So which is he? Is he a sinner or is he from God? Well, they're not sure. So they do what people in any bureaucracy do. They say, Let's just ask for more information and not make any decisions. And so they do. Verse 17, they ask. uh, So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said he's a prophet. Well, turns out that doesn't change anybody's mind. Let's get more information. So they call in his parents. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight... ...until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight... ...and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind... But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So I want you to notice that the last thing said in verse 17 is the idea he is a prophet. That's what the blind man says about him. So if we're going to investigate, maybe that's what we should be investigating. But instead, we're going to go backwards. We're going away from the truth in this investigation because they call in his parents just to see, was he even born blind? It would really be a lot more comfortable for them if we could just say, oh, wait, this is a fake miracle. This didn't really happen. And so they say, well, let's call them in. They say, is this your son who you say was born blind? And then how does he now see? Well, they say, yes, yes, we know he was born blind. But the rest of it, we have no idea. Don't ask us. Ask him. Now, why do they act that way? They act that way because the Pharisees have already said, if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, you're out. Put out of the synagogue means that you are no longer a part of the Jewish community. Okay? You are going to be excommunicated, so to speak. And they're scared of that. They don't want that, especially over a story that their son told, him, told them. So they say, you know what? We're not getting into this. All we know is that he was born <laughs> blind. If he's seeing now, we don't know. We don't know anything about that. So you just move on. And so we're not any closer to the truth now, are we? All we can verify is that he really was born blind and that he really does now see. So they call the man in again. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner or not, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. All right, so they call the man in again, and this can safely be construed as a threat. Because immediately, they don't ask any questions. They say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. That's verse 24. So they're willing to admit that there has been a healing. Well, That screen has gone blue, hasn't it? Okay, they're willing to admit that there's been a healing, but they say the man who did it does not deserve to be acknowledged. Let's not talk about who did it. Let's just say God did it and move on which is a little bit uh, sinister. They have together concluded that the man is a sinner. So they say, you need to, too. We know, verse 24, that this man is a sinner. There's going to be a lot of talk, by the way, about what we know in this little section. So the man says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know the details of Jesus' personal life. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. And so the Pharisees seem frustrated. Well, that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for you talking about how you're seeing now, you just need to give glory to God and leave off all that stuff about Jesus. So they say, hey, why don't you repeat your story again? Let's see if the wording is what we want. And the man at this point shows a little bit of pluck. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? He's also very sarcastic, by the way, uh, because he's also going to say it's an amazing thing that you don't know where he's from. But the idea is, he is poking them, and that, that gets a reaction. Do you want to become his disciples? And they say, oh, no, oh, no, we're Moses' disciples. We know where Moses came from. We don't know where this guy came from. By the way, that's not about what city Jesus came from. That's about we know Moses was from God. We know Moses is approved. Uh, Jesus, oh, we don't know about this guy. He's not keeping the Sabbath. We're not sure about all this. And that is the accusation get, gets the man riled up. That's when he says... Verse 30, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. That's amazing. Now, amazing there is sarcastic. I'm surprised that somehow you don't get it. And then he he gives what you might call a very miniature sermon. Maybe it's just a a logical step-by-step thought process. Pretty simple. He says, essentially, when somebody works a miracle, he's connected with God. God's not going to empower sinners to work miracles. So if you see a miracle, the man who did it probably isn't a sinner. If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. So now they are even angrier. I want you to notice in verse 34 how they respond. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This is what we call in, in logic... An ad hominem attack, where when you cannot refute the logic of what someone is saying, you attack the person and their credibility. It's become very popular since social media has become so popular. Instead of us saying, let's argue about the merits of an argument, instead we just attack each other. You see, they don't even touch his logic. They just say, you were born in utter sin. And so they refuse to hear him. Well, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus finds him and asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's his name for himself. And the man says, well, I don't know who he is. Tell me who he is and I'll believe in him. He has an attitude that says, I'm willing to believe. I just don't have enough information. So Jesus tells him, I'm the one talking to you. And so he believes and he worships him. And then Jesus does something interesting. He looks back at the whole story and the whole picture of blindness and he starts to make some applications. Verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. That's the blind man. And that those who see They become blind. Well, now we're talking in something more spiritual than physical. And so he's not going around making, physically seeing people physically blind. Instead, something else is happening. And so the Pharisees who are probably there watching him, hey, what's he going to say now? Is he going to do something else on the Sabbath? They say, well, are we blind? Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So the point he's making here is that the blind man sees Jesus rightly. Because those who think they already know everything are actually blind. And those who know that they don't know and come to Jesus for help and healing, they're the ones who were blind, but now they see because Jesus gives them sight. So when I say that I think this is the perfect story for our time, I hope you see what I mean. You can see all the confusion over what are the real facts of the story. What's the fake news here? And you can see it, everybody is arguing about the facts. The man has to tell his story so many times, and it's such a simple story. In fact, the facts are much less the story than all the reaction to the facts, right? That sounds a lot like our time. Powerful people are controlling the narrative. They're saying, give glory to God. They're saying, nobody can come to this conclusion. This is what we know. And these are the only approved words you can say. You know, we live in a time where there are investigations and then investigations of investigations. Well, you see some investigations here that are not about truth and justice. They're about power. So we want to find out more, but not because we want the truth. We want to find out more so that we can control the story. Everybody is living under the threat of punishment. If you say the wrong thing, you believe the wrong thing, then you're going to have these consequences. And then there's all kinds of name-calling All over the place. You're sinners. You're born in utter sin. We don't know where this man comes from. So the question is, who's right? Who's the real sinner here? And I want to give you uh, three options. I don't think think my uh, PowerPoint's going to be working here, so I'll just have to tell you the three options. Okay, so first of all, is the real sinner the blind man? There is some suggestion that that's the case in this story. He is called a sinner repeatedly. Back in verse 1, remember this? Verse 1 Rabbi, who sinned? I'm sorry, verse 2. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he is blind physically, not because he is sick spiritually. That's their assumption. Jesus says, no, that's not the case. But then, verse verse 34, they answered him, this is the Pharisees, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? So they say, not only were you born in sin, and that's the reason for your blindness. Born in utter sin, completely sinful. But also, you don't have any right to teach us because of how you were born. So they say, you're a sinner, and that's the problem here. But I want you to see, Jesus contradicts the Pharisees about this. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that the blind man, people like this, are the reason I came into the world. He says that in verse 39. In verse 39, he says... For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. He came to give sight to the blind. And this blind man begins the chapter physically blind and spiritually lost. And yet by the end of the chapter he can see in both ways. And Jesus says, that's why I came. That's not the man who's the sinner. The disciples and the Pharisees may think of him that way, but Jesus does not. He's not the real sinner here. All right, well, there is some suggestion that Jesus is the sinner. That's the second possibility. Look in verse 16 with me. In verse 16 he says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? He is not from God because in their view he does not keep the Sabbath. Now I'm pretty sure that the rule about, against working on the Sabbath does not really talk about miraculous healing. That miraculous healing is not a part of anybody's regular job that they need to knock off every Saturday so they can worship God. Miraculous healing happens when miraculous healing happens because God's in control of that. But what's going on here is they can't fathom Jesus having a different view of the Sabbath than they do. If he was from God, he would think like we think. Because after all, we're trying to serve God. So he's got to do it the way we do it, or else he can't be from God. He must be a sinner. Now, at least some of the others are conflicted. You see that in verse 16, where some of them are saying, how can a sinner do signs like this? But I want you to notice how that that, uh, little voice of dissent disappears. Where initially, there's a division. By the end of the chapter, there's no division among the Pharisees. They're all with one voice saying, Jesus is wrong. Verse 24... Verse 24, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now the blind man says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Notice what they're arguing. They're arguing about whether Jesus, who has never sinned, is a sinner. Which implies not just that he has done something wrong, but that he is continually living in rebellion against God. He is a sinner. Verse 29 we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And again, where he comes from is not just a story about where he came from physically. And the man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You did not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now, I know, and we've talked before about the idea of Uh, Does God hear the prayers of sinners and that kind of thing? And this this text can be kind of ripped out of its context and used in that discussion. And and that's in the Q&A. You can search for that and think about that. But I just want to say, when he talks about sinners here, he is saying, people who live in rebellion against God are not God's tools to do miracles. That's not the way God works. And so if we see him doing miracles, we know he's not a sinner. So they're arguing about this. Because some see Jesus' miracles somehow as a sign that he's a sinner. So the only shred of proof they have to accuse Jesus of being a sinner is that he clearly did a miracle on the wrong day. Did a clear miracle. Can't deny it. Facts are clearly established. But he didn't do it on the right day. So he must be a sinner. So I think it's pretty obvious that Jesus is not the real sinner here. And yet he is accused of such repeatedly. So there's a third group, which is the Pharisees. Interestingly, Nobody in the story labels the Pharisees as sinners. Because they're the ones doing the labeling. They're the ones doing the judging. It doesn't even occur to them that they might be the real sinners. They might be the goats of the story. They think instead their job is to judge just what exactly has happened and whether or not it's legit. So look down in verse 39 with me again. In verse 39, it says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, "Are we also blind?" Jesus said to him, said to them, "If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains." So Jesus says, "I've come for these kind of reversals. To take the blind and make them see, to take the, the those who think they see and make them blind." And verse 41 especially implies that when we refuse to acknowledge our guilt and our weakness, we're blind and we don't even know it. We look at others and we condemn and we criticize and judge them, but we never look in the mirror. And so our judgment is fatally corrupted. We are the real sinners. Even when we find other people to look down on, we are the ones at fault. So will the real sinner please stand up? Well, the Pharisees are your real sinner. Everyone else in the story is falsely accused. All right, well, what difference does that make? All right, so we... We get to feel pretty good about we see Jesus kind of vindicated, the blind man. You know, we kind of get some uh, chuckle out of him dealing with these men. What difference does it make? I want to tell you three things that make a difference about this story. The first is it matters who is right about Jesus' identity, who Jesus is. Jesus, and I want you to see how polarizing this discussion is. It's one or the other. Jesus is either sent from God or he's a sinner. He's either empowered by God or he's a charlatan. He's either God's son or he's a liar. He's doing these miracles by God's power or by Satan's. It's one or the other. Something is happening here and we have to make a decision. But there is no room in this story for us to say, I think he's okay. I think he's a nice guy, has some good ideas, but maybe his claims are a little overblown. There's no room for that middle ground. There is this strange phenomenon that goes on in our world where people have tremendous respect for Jesus. And this is almost universal. Just about anybody you talk to, they say, man, I really like Jesus. His Teachings are great, really enjoy reading about him. But then they'll turn around and say, well, he was just a good man with maybe some revolutionary ideas the world wasn't ready for, or something like that. I just want to say the idea that he would be a good man and not the Messiah cannot be true. And it's certainly not what anyone who ever actually met him would say or did say. You notice how the reactions to Jesus are. You believe that he is the Messiah, you follow him, you trust him. Or you reject him and you're angry and you lash out. It's one or the other. Some people who knew Jesus hated him and rejected him and called him a sinner and worked to oppose him. In fact, they even ended up killing him. And then some of the people who knew him loved him and served him and believed in him and died for him. And all of them had to answer the question not only is who do men say that I am, but who do you say that I am? You have to make that choice. I especially want us to stress there is no middle ground here, no, you know, lukewarm feelings toward Jesus. And if we try to have feelings that are just sort of in between, What's going to end up happening is we're going to lean toward rejection of Jesus. So as disciples of Jesus, if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and God's son, that's going to mean that he is Lord and master of everything, including all my decisions. So we need to know who's right. And we need to know and make choices about the identity of Jesus. The second thing that matters here is what matters to Jesus. And I want to give you two options. Does honest faith or blind religious effort matter to Jesus? Which one? You see those contrast in this story. You've got a a man who is blind and he doesn't have anything on his side except honesty and faith. And then you have an entire religious establishment, incredibly powerful. But they are blind. Yes, they are doing things in the name of God. Yes, they're doing things. They want to monitor how people are keeping the Sabbath. But it is a blind religious effort. Which one of those does Jesus reward? Of course, I think you can see the hero of this story is the blind man. The blind man stands up to the Pharisees. He's persecuted because of it. But he has the courage to say what needs to be said. On the other hand, the goats of the story are the Pharisees. Who investigate the situation under the guise of religious zeal. But they end up further from the truth than when they started What matters to Jesus are those simple words where the man says, one thing I know. I was blind, now I see. Simple words like if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Simple words, simple faith. And when he discovers Jesus and Jesus says, I'm the son of man, he worships him and believes in him. No questions, no hesitation. And Jesus comforts him for his persecution and Jesus praises him. The Pharisees, meanwhile, they are religious. They are zealous, but they are utterly dishonest. Their minds are made up. They already know how right they are. They already know how wrong Jesus is. They will not be taught. And I want to say, we need to understand dishonesty is not an information problem. More information will not make you more honest. Dishonesty is a heart problem. And it doesn't matter how many things we study and how much information we glean... If at the end of the day we're dishonest, it will not help us at all. There is another story where Jesus is confronted by the Sadducees after he cleanses the temple. And they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And you remember the the Sadducees seemed to huddle up They say, oh, well, if we say this, then the people will say that. If we say it was from God, then then he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? So we can't say that. But you notice everything about what they're doing is not about honesty and answering the question. It's about the political implications of the question. Jesus says then, well, if if you don't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. If you're not going to be honest about a simple question, then why would you expect from me to give you the truth that might even lead to you killing me. Dishonesty then is the issue here. We need to see ourselves in this story that Jesus wants us to be honest and trust him more than he wants us to blindly follow religious seeming rules. We need to see the ways that we tend to act and think like Pharisees. And we need to see them for the dishonesty that they demonstrate. Because that matters to Jesus. Honesty matters more than upholding what we think we're supposed to be doing. That's what you see in the blind man. A brutal honesty that says, I'm going to embrace the truth no matter what it says or what enemies it makes for me. Third thing I want you to see from this story is who has the right to teach. I think this is a really interesting wrinkle. We know from other places, particularly Paul's writings in Romans 2 that Pharisees were among that group that considered themselves a guide to the blind, a light to those who were in darkness. They thought they were the teachers. And we deserve, because we teach, we know it all, we're always right. After all, we know. Do you see how many times they talk about what we know in this text? In verse 24, we know that this man is a sinner. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. See, we're the ones who do the religious reasoning around here. We're the ones who know the truth. Don't you come in here, blind man, been begging at the temple all day, and you think you can teach us? And when this blind man has the unmitigated temerity to make a biblical argument they disagree with, they launch in after him. Verse 34, would you teach us? The question just drips with disdain. This man, in their view, has no right to teach them because he was born in utter sin. He is unredeemable. He is unteachable. He is worthless. And yet he's our hero. What we're learning here is that honesty and faith and truth are not just what Jesus values. They're also the criteria for teaching. They're what makes someone worth listening to. It's not about political power. And it's not about what other religious leaders say. It's not about whether we'll lose influence. It's not about where we were born or who we grew up with or whose feet we sat at. The criteria for teaching is honesty and faith and truth. Are we honest? Do we believe it? Are we saying what's true? And by those criteria, the blind man is far more qualified to teach than the Pharisees. In fact, I think we could say his lesson it's far more powerful than anything the Pharisees say here. Sometimes people will ask me, uh, where'd you go to seminary? And I always kind of smile a little. I didn't go to seminary. I went to Texas A&M, which is pretty far from a seminary. And uh, I, I like to follow up when I say that with, because people will usually give me a confused look. I like to follow up with, My brethren aren't concerned with where I went to school as long as I tell the truth, as long as I preach the truth. And I have to say, I am thankful to be a part of a group of people who are not asking, where did you come from? What are your credentials? That the word itself and the work itself and the honesty which with the word is presented is the criteria, the qualification of what allows someone to teach. But I think we need to embrace that idea that the blind man represents here. That even when people who the world looks down on, when they figure things out, when they are taught by Jesus, when they learn, when they have a sincere heart, that we have something to learn from them, that they have something to teach us because they have honesty and they have faith and they have the truth. Now, it may not be all the truth. It may be a small part like this man has. He's just beginning. And yet there is a power in that, that if we ignore because we think we already know the answers, we know, we know, we know, like the Pharisees, then we're missing a part of how God's trying to teach us. There is something powerful here about who gets to teach. It's a reminder to us, don't just accept teaching because it comes through approved channels. Honesty and faith and truth. Look for those, and don't be surprised If, like in Jesus' day, sometimes honesty and faith and truth leave us on the outside looking in at others, it's okay. Like this man, we might be thrown out of the synagogue in whatever form that takes, but Jesus can still be with us. I love how Jesus comes and finds the man and encourages him. You're still doing the right thing. Don't worry about them. So we have some decisions to make for ourselves. If we're talking about Jesus' identity, we have to ask the question, what are we going to decide about that? And then we have to ask the question, are we going to be honest about our walk with God? Do we really believe in Jesus? And are we going to continue in honesty and faith? Or are we kind of going through the motions like those Pharisees were, where we're checking boxes, we're judging others, and we're just evaluating whether they line up to what we think? And we need to ask the question, are we listening just because there are some people who are in religious authority I know the audio recording won't show all my air quotes, but I'm giving air quotes here. Are we just listening to people because they're in religious authority? Or are we listening to people who are speaking in honesty and faith about what is true? Those are questions I hope that you'll take with you. Don't just read the story and chuckle. Think about yourself and where you would fit. If you were present, which side would you be on? Which person would you gravitate toward? Who would you think was the real sinner? And then let's think about how we can live that out. We want to offer at this time the invitation so that if there's someone here, someone who is watching or listening and is ready to take a step to be right with the Lord Jesus, to accept him, put their faith in him, turn away from their sins, be baptized into Christ, that you'll have an opportunity for us to help you to do that and to be right with God. So I want to encourage for those who are watching online or watching in some other format, listening in some other format, to please reach out to us if there's some way we can help you to draw closer to the Lord. Somehow you have questions about something that has been said or something that you have studied and, and you're wondering what do I need to do to become a Christian or how to, where do I go from here? We'd love to hear from you. Just check on the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you and reach out and uh, we can be in touch with you about that. But if there's someone here in the building this morning that is ready to take that step and needs us to work with you or do something for you, please come right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.